Hello and welcome to episode four of the Wealth Amplifier podcast. I'm Matt Liebman and I'm joined today by Aaron Marks and Patrick Swift, our usual crew for the Wealth Amplifier podcast series. Today we are going to amplify the general topic of the benefits to taking the long view, particularly when it comes to investments and financial planning. Uh, especially during tough times, there can be a tendency to think of things from a short-term perspective, and there are real benefits to looking through to the long view. But before we get started, as always at the outset, we like to mention that nothing in this podcast should be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Those conversations should happen with your individual tax, legal, and investment advisors. So let's get started. In a time like this, uh, lean years, which we've, we've seen many times before, there is a tendency to have a short-term focus. But one of our jobs is, for lack of another term, to try and take the uh, lemons that the economy and markets are giving us and make lemonade. So uh, without any further delay, Aaron, Pat, take it away. Let's talk about something. All right. Um, yeah, I think that's that's been... The, the 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 broad topic of this whole year for us at the firm is uh, there are there are savvy things you can do when markets aren't cooperating in your favor, um, whether it's a financial planning angle or an investing angle or some combination of the two. And I think the premise that you know sort of born this episode was we've been banging the table about Roth conversions, we've been banging the table about tax loss harvesting for clients that we have with stock awards at their respective companies, how they should be mitigating those risks and, and, and being tax efficient. Uh, there's a big election everybody's talking about today, coincidentally. Um, and and, and uh, it seems like all of these topics that we have and the ideas we have, um, they don't always land. And I don't know if it's sometimes a lack of clear communication from us, or if it's the short-term thinking that is that is what we're amplifying. So Aaron, I don't know if you have anything to add there. Yeah, it's it's uh, sometimes things that are good for you take effort. Um, bad markets, like they do come and go. It's sometimes easy and sometimes the smart move to just sit on your hands and let things play out. But to take advantage takes a little effort. And your, your financial advisor can take some of those things off your plate, but still you've got to be you got to be into it and up for the idea and maybe a little bit of legwork on your side when we need a, a tax return or some statements, um, you know, around your stock awards, whatever it happens to be, a little bit of leg, legwork happens and or needs to be done. And it's not always fun and easy to do. You know, we talk about other things in life that you, you should be doing. You know you should be eating healthy and, and uh, um, exercising, flossing your teeth, all those sorts of things. And it's not fun. It takes time. I'd rather eat the cheeseburger rather than the salad. But we know that that it sometimes has to be done. You got to take that medicine for, for the long term, for, for the health of you and others. So it translates here to the financial world in rough years. Okay, what things can we be doing? Just like Patrick mentioned, Roth conversions, tax loss harvesting, a lot of strategy around those topics. So... Pat, as someone who um, I am sure flosses every day, uh, why don't you uh, why don't you walk us through one? Like, let's take Roth conversions for example. Why that has long term benefit? Often, obviously, not not in every single case, but uh, and and what some of the short term holdups are for people. 
Yeah, uh, although I don't uh, floss quite as much, I have these nice big gaps in my teeth, which which are, I I have always said are part of my character, so I'm proud of them. But um, <laughs> so yeah, that's so. So what is it? Let's just pretend anybody who's listening has no idea what the heck we're talking about. So set the table, right? We're in 2022. Markets have been lousy both on the stock and the bond side um, for most people this year. Um, and we've talked about these Roth conversions. So what the heck is Roth conversion in general? Um, Roth conversion is essentially when you're taking money that's in retirement accounts that you haven't paid any taxes on yet. So if you have a 401k, an individual retirement account, a SEP IRA, money that's gone into these accounts, pre-tax, as you'll sometimes see said. And that money will get taxed at some point in the future. If you've planned well and you've saved well, at least under today's laws, you may not need to take a dime from them until age 72. So for folks that are far short of those ages, you've got a long time horizon to grow those accounts. So what a Roth conversion is, is you're taking some of that money today and you're converting it to Roth dollars. And what happens when you do that in a year like any of these um, is you're paying taxes on on the amount that you're converting. So if you have $100,000, in a pre-tax retirement account and you convert it to a Roth, you're paying taxes on $100,000 of income. Now, caveat, there's no penalty. So sometimes you'll see that you know there's penalties if you just take money out of an account before age 59 and a half. No penalty to do a Roth conversion, but you, you, do, pay, you do pay your income taxes. So why does it make sense? So let's look at an example. Let's say you had an account that was worth $150,000 this year, traditional IRA. And today it's worth a hundred thousand to use to use round numbers. So the the actual amount has gone down. But long term thinking, let's say you're forty years old, you got thirty two years using the age seventy two example. If you're actually going to take any money from it, and let's say that doubles, triples, quadruples by the time you get there, and that account's worth I don't know, Matt, you're the math guy here, one, a million bucks. Say you got a million bucks in uh, thirty two years in that account, not from any contribution, just from growth. Let's just say one point one. Sure, one point one. Let's make the math difficult. Um, <laughs> so that one point one, seventy two, government's going to say, "Hey, you got to take take money out of this account now." Every time you take distributions on one point one, you're going to pay taxes on it. So it is what it is, kind of thing. Now, if you had done the opposite, let's say that one point one million dollars had grown in a Roth IRA, you get to seventy two. There is no impact. So you're not mandated, first of all, to take any distributions from the account. And if you do need to take the money for any reason, it's all tax-free to you. So the reasons why, so that's the great sort of situation in general. Now, the specifics, and you guys can weigh in here if you want, so I'm not monologuing too much, but in a year like this one, if you had done that Roth conversion in January or November of 2021, December of 2021, your account balance would have been much higher. So now, because markets have pulled back, you've likely lost a little bit of value in your investments. And if you convert it, you're going to be paying less tax dollars on that money. The other more theoretical idea, which is hard to predict, but we had a big tax cut on federal rates back in 2017. Um, and there isn't, not to get political, but there hasn't been much talk on either side of the aisle, no matter who you affiliate with, around taxes going down again in the next couple of years, five years, 10 years. So the premise may be, hey, if you're in your earnings years and you're going to continue to make more money, and by the way, your tax rates may go up in the next five to 10 years, and plus the markets are down, this is kind of perfect storm for some people to do a Roth 
conversion. Um, there's some more benefits for your estate and things like that, but how did I do? What do you guys, you guys got anything to add to that? So let's talk about, you do this conversion. We're in the current tax year. The tax bill that then comes the following year, at April 15th or whenever you file, you've got to write a check to the government. That's the most efficient way, in our opinion, to do it rather than taking money from the IRA or the Roth conversion to pay the taxes. You want as many dollars and shares going into that Roth. So then you've got to stroke that check to the government by April 15th. That's the part where we talk about taking the long view. Yeah, it, it stings to have to write that check for 10,000, 15, 20, maybe more, uh, depending on how much you convert. And it stings. But with the illustration that Patrick just went to, it really pays off in the long term. And those are the things that we try to bang the table about is, yeah, we've, you got to exercise now. You've got to eat right. And if you do, the future is going to be brighter and cleaner. Um, so the same il illustrates here. Um, do that conversion. Pay the tax. You've got to write that check. But way down the road, it's going to be better for you. So, so Matt, getting back to the specifics of this podcast. Why is it so difficult for people to to take that as a as a piece of advice in a year like this? I think it's because they've generally learned certain lessons that are generally valuable lessons, but they've learned them too well. So for example, we're all taught uh, from a in this business from a young age that effectively nothing against the government, but all else equal, you'd rather keep more money in your own pocket than, than, than give it to the government. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and that is sort of allowed in our, in our tax code and encouraged. There are all kinds of legitimate legal, I won't say loopholes, but deductions, ways to get uh, to pay less taxes that we're always encouraged to seek out in society because it's seen as the most efficient way to be. So it's hard to when someone's trained to do it that way for the better part of, let's say, multiple decades. And then all of a sudden we're like, yeah, remember when we talked about all that? Forget all that and, and write the biggest check you've ever written to the government. Because sometimes this could be in the hundreds of thousands, depending right. on how, how it is. And, and I think part of, to Aaron's point about looking at the long term, what's hard to see there is the fact that you're going to be sending that money to the government at some point anyway. Either you or your heirs. That money, the government's going to get their money. They're they're owed. It's legitimate. It's justified. They need their money. So if they're going to get it at some point anyway, why not do it at a more favorable time? But to, to your question, Pat, I think it's that idea of I just can't stroke that check to the government. It's just mm -hmm. like that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be putting that off as long as possible, which often is the right thing, but not always. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't want to skip over the, the Roth conversation, but you lead into another topic, Matt, where we've, we've been told one thing, we've learned one thing for a long time and now need to reframe. Market's down. There's losses on your statement. There's losses in your account. Let's talk about that and where we could take advantage um, when you do have those losses. Yeah, Matt, why don't you give us the 411 on that strategy? So... Let's talk about tax loss harvesting uh, in, in general. And you're right. It fits in the exact same thing where you're, you're always taught you don't sell at the bottom. You don't sell when things are going down. And that is good advice. It's sound advice. It's one of the number one things we do is stop people from selling during bad markets. However, they're selling to go to cash to say, 
I'm panicked. I'm done with these markets, which rarely ever works out. I never, I never say never in investing, but rarely will that will that ever work out. And then there is selling something that's down and maybe creating some benefit for yourself. So let's walk through how that could work. And let's use Pat's uh, uh, same example here. You have a million dollars at the beginning of the year. And let's say it's in a well-diversified portfolio of uh, ETFs, index funds. That's what we use a lot, and, and, and they're a fairly popular investment tool. And come September, October, whatever, that portfolio is now worth $800,000. And for argument's sake, let's pretend you bought the whole portfolio on January 1. So, so you started with a million dollars at the beginning of the year, and now you're sitting there with $800,000, obviously an unpleasant experience. But you go in and you look at your indexes, and let's say you own the S&P 500, for example. It's a pretty popular index out there. And, and the whole portfolio was in that. Just going to make an argument here for a minute. Now it's worth $800,000. You could sell that position today, uh, not go to cash in a panic. That, that's a different type of selling, which we almost always discourage. But actually redeploy that money to a set of other ETFs that also track the large U.S. stock market that the S&P 500 tracks, but not exactly the same thing as the S&P 500, sort of different enough, if, if you will. And what happens in that scenario, and you got to check all this out with your tax advisor, but what ultimately happens is you're sitting there and you have the same $800,000 that you had a minute ago. It's invested in similar things that will likely go back up during a recovery. However, you now have this tax asset. You're sitting there with a $200,000 realized loss that effectively you can use to offset ordinary income partially and then and offset future capital gains. So, Pat, why don't you jump in there and talk about what, what, why we, you know, because I've, I've heard some people push back on this and say, well, how do you know there'll be future capital gains? And of course, right. the answer is we don't know, but... Yeah, well, and I think that what you were about to, what you just hit on is the reason why people have a hard time understanding this concept, maybe even more than the Roth conversion one, because to your point, the rhetoric is to not sell when you're down. Um, and I think it's hard for people. So I think when we explain this strategy sometimes to people, we forget to say, oh, by the way, we're sort of Per permanent bullish. We're, we're sort of, we, we always think at some point markets are going to recover. At least long term, yeah. At least long term, right? And hey, if we're looking at your financial plan, things we've planned for, your time horizon is 5, 10, 20, 30 years, we're going to assume your portfolio, if it stays invested similarly, will have a whole bunch of gains uh, for you to realize at some point. And we'd like to essentially help you <laughs> diversify that tax bill so that you don't have to pay taxes on every single gain that you have. Um, so that just real quick in that previous example, talking about Roth, where we're telling you to write that check to the IRS here, we're saving you from doing that in the future. Let's, 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 let's go the other way when you don't need to give it to the IRS. Let's, let's keep it for yourself. Right. And, uh, just in case you're wondering why I started smiling and laughing, it's not just the pure joy that I get um, from Roth conversions and tax loss harvesting, but uh, one of our uh, friendly clients stopped by the office and was standing outside my window making faces trying to distract <laughs> me. So uh, good work. Good work by him. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, if you can understand the concept, I think sometimes like we, 
this is what this is where we get frustrated, right? Because it's like, why wouldn't you do this? Why would you not take advantage of this amazing tool the IRS somehow hasn't like closed the loophole on when using like index funds or ETFs to Matt's example? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's hard for people. On, well, luck, and luckily, with the way we have things at Amplius, for most of our clients, we have discretion, so we're able to do some of these things without them having to think too hard about it. So we can benefit them in the long term. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's just another one of those things where the conversation can be difficult for uh, people to get you know, wrapped up. And, and we don't want to make it out to be that all financial advisors are geniuses and the average person who's not in this industry, they don't get it and won't do it. I, a lot of our friends listen to this podcast, a lot of clients, a lot of prospective clients, but also friends and colleagues in the business that are financial advisors. And I would argue, because I've had some conversations about this, I'd love to call the client and say, hey, you're up this year. It's all gains. All, all looks good, you know, and, and go on with the conversation. It's a harder discussion to say, hey, client, you have a whole bunch of losses this year. Everyone knows they're down, but you don't want to be told that. And I, I think that certain advisors will avoid the conversation because they don't want to dwell on the negative, which can be spun to a positive. But they might not even bring it up because they don't want to bring up the losses, uh, the fact that there are losses. So. It goes uh, on both sides of the table. It's not just, hey, we're great and you're not. It, it's just human nature to want to talk about the positive. Yeah, yeah. And I think on that, I think there are also some advisors that avoid taking more losses because they're concerned about what an accountant's going to tell the client when they go to file their taxes. Uh, now, and by the way, that can be flipped around the other way too, right? Like an accountant can say, why didn't they take more losses? Because they may see it the long way that, that, that we do. So, so I think there's always, uh, uh, you know, you're right. A hesitate. No one likes to deal with difficult stuff. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and obviously down years are more difficult than up years. Right. Which, which is, I'll just give us a, a shameless uh, self sort of plug here. Uh, we have worked very hard and diligently this year to close some of those communication gaps we've seen for clients between their tax professionals and us so that there are no surprises and the client is getting a clear, consistent message from all their parties. Um, so just just to give us a plug, we're, we're, we, uh, we recognize the fact that that has happened in the past and uh, here at Amplify, we're trying to amplify that. To follow up on that, a lot of execution that needs to be done. So, so Pat, I appreciate you bringing that up. It reminds us that if you take the loss this year and you don't offset it with a gain, you can carry that forward, right. as Matt mentioned, to offset future gains. But what if you forget? What if there are no gains next year and you carry it forward again? Well, we've got to be keeping track on a tax return and in your records. Right. Who is keeping track? Yeah. Yeah. So there's some work to be done here. The average person might say, yeah, no problem. I can go take those losses. That's fine. I, what do I need you for? Well, there, there's more to come. There's more steps to follow. And Everyone gets busy, right? You've got yeah. friends and family and work and hobbies, and, and it's a lot to think about. Um, but what we're talking about is just taking advantage. Take advantage of the opportunity in all years, good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, put yourself in a better position for the future. Yeah, And not to get too nuanced because there's always um, uh, every individual situation is different. But uh, particularly for our listeners in some higher tax states, New York, California, Jersey, other places, there can be some nuances on this with state taxes that you have to consider when deciding right. how much of a loss to take, yep. which every state for the most part has to consider. But, you know, the, the taxes in New York are a little higher than Pennsylvania. So maybe a little bit more of a consideration. Yeah. Yeah. So what else? What else? Uh, 
what else have we talked about with folks this year that may have been a more difficult or um, longer comprehensive conversation that should ultimately benefit them, but may not today? I think just a one that you can talk about any day, any year is just when's the last time you updated your will? You know, ah, I don't feel like it. We did, we did it a while ago. Well, hey, things change. Laws change. Yeah. You, you, you don't want your, your kids, beneficiaries and heirs to sort through a bunch of mess down the road. So, you know, yeah, you're going to have to talk to that estate attorney and you're going to have to, you know, pay for that. But it's a, it's a service that needs to be done um, periodically. So the future uh, is not uncertain for those that you love. Yeah. It is truly amazing when you talk to people and this happens not just clients, friends, family members that are talking about multi-million dollar decisions, uh, sometimes more depending on the person's net worth, that will affect their family for generations. And like the legal be legal fee is a, a little bit higher than I thought. And we're talking about you know I don't want to belittle a thousand dollars here or there, five thousand here or there. That's real money, but compared to the multiple millions of estates, uh, should get that right. It, it's yeah. it's pretty important. Yes. When, and here's one that generally actually is the opposite, where this year clients have understood our rhetoric, but I'm anticipating them to have an issue with it in the future. So it's almost reverse. And here's here here's the situation. So we work with a lot of clients at public companies and they'll have stock awards to execute on. And in a year like this one, to, without getting too technical or in the weeds, someone has incentive stock options and their public company stock is a little bit depressed this year because the markets have been down. That means if they exercise those options and they buy the stock, which is what an incentive stock option allows you to do, usually at a much lower price than the current value, you could have a beneficial tax situation there. And by the way, there's no taxes due today. So clients are like, oh, this is great. I don't have to, nothing, nothing's coming out of my pocket today. This is awesome. It's not going to have a tax effect. But remember with incentive stock options, at least the whole reason you're doing that is so that you can pay preferential capital gains rates in the future, right? So Aaron and I have had a lot of these conversations with clients this year. Oh, this is great. Let's do it. Getting some tax planning done, putting you in a better situation, all these all the things we talk about. And I'm anticipating a year from now, especially if markets rebound, we're going to say, oh, hey, remember we exercised all this stock. Let's go ahead and sell it now because now it's up and you got long-term capital gains treatment. And I'm anticipating that being, oh, well, you know, I think we should hang on to it. I think it's going to keep going. I think it's going to, I don't want to pay the tax bill. It's going to be all the same behavioral stuff we think about today, but it's, it's of course kind of the opposite, right? And I'm a, mm-hmm. that's going to be another future thing, but it's all about remembering and having right. a perspective. It's taking the long view, but remember when you go long, when you go way down the road, where you came from and why you started down that long road. Mm-hmm. So it's not just take the first step, it's take the second, third, and fourth step, which might be one, two, three, five years down the road. So it's, it's a very good point that take that long view and don't forget why you're at that position that you are right now. Which is difficult to do. So that's why you got to hire smart people. <laughs> like Patrick Swift. Um, so so um, the opposite of a long view is what we've promised for this podcast series, which is that we're going to stay 15 to 30 minutes on episodes. And we're right in the middle of that right now. So we're uh, this is part of, though, even though this is episode four, this is part of a two part series. We're going to do uh, this was more planning based long view. We're going to do a little bit of the long view as it relates to investments uh, next uh, in our in our next episode uh, as well. So uh, stay tuned for that. And uh, thank you, uh, Aaron and Pat. Anything to add in the uh, in the closing? 
No, thanks for listening. Thanks for the time, guys. Yeah, we appreciate it. Uh, share with your friends. Um, reach out to us with questions, and we'll talk to everybody again soon.